0: Good morning. morning. Welcome in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm glad to be here and I hope you are too. It's good to see all of you on this hot July Sunday. We're not out of the heat yet, but starting early like this, perhaps we'll beat some of that heat. It feels pretty nice in here right now. Thank you to everyone who got the building ready and got the fans going. That's a big help. Our call to worship this morning comes from the 125th Psalm. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous reach out their hands to iniquity. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. As for such as turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord shall lead them away with the workers of iniquity. Peace be upon Israel. Let's take our hymnals this morning, and if you're able and willing, stand together with me, number 119, Jesus, your name. Let's sing praise to the Lord. 119. JESUS, YOUR NAME IS POWER JESUS, YOUR NAME IS MIGHT JESUS, YOUR NAME WILL BREAK EVERY STRONGHOLD JESUS, YOUR NAME IS LIFE JESUS, YOUR NAME IS HEALING JESUS, YOUR NAME GIVES SIGHT Jesus, your name will free every captive, Jesus, your name is life, Jesus, your name is holy, Jesus, your name brings light. Jesus, your name above every other, Jesus, your name is life. Jesus, your name is power. Jesus, your name is might. Jesus, your name will break every stronghold. Jesus, your name is life. And now number 34, He is Lord. This is the confession of the church. Jesus Christ is Lord. We glorify God the Father when we confess that He is Lord. He is Lord. He is risen from the dead and He is Lord. Every knee shall bow, every tongue Jesus Christ is Lord. He is Lord, He is Lord, He is risen from the dead, and He is Lord. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and all God's people said amen. amen he is lord you may be seated seek the lord in prayer our father we thank you that you have graciously reached out to us through your son jesus christ that when we were sinners lost and dead in our trespasses and sins you demonstrated your love for us in this way that jesus christ our lord and your son died for us we give thanks to you we exalt him we lift him up and we praise you for your goodness for your grace Father, we thank you that you do hear the prayers of your people, and we lift up to you this morning these requests that have been mentioned. We do continue to pray for Tammy's unspoken. We trust that you will work in her and her family's life to meet that need. We also pray for Leon, and you know his situation, Lord, and we pray that you would use the situations of his life, the circumstances, and the people that you put into his path to redeem him and to bring his life to the place where you would want it to be. We pray for his salvation. Father, we pray for our sisters, Martha and Karen. We thank you that you are at work in their lives. You are doing good things. We pray that you would continue the good work, that you would provide and promote healing where it's needed and strength where it's needed, and that you would restore these two sisters of ours, restore them to health and wellness and Father we, we pray the same thing for Beth uh, who had been making good progress and now has suffered this setback we pray that you would provide for her healing and that you would restore her and raise her up uh, we give praise to you for the good news that we've heard uh, regarding Karen being cancer, cancer-free and, and Tony also. But uh, again, we lift them up, Father, because healing is needed. We lift Terry up. Uh, she's got the irritations and the, the troubles that sometimes come along with healing. We pray that you would ease her pain and discomfort and that you would make her whole and well. Uh, we pray for Ray my uncle my mother's brother as he's facing this this hip surgery and we just pray that you would uh, give wisdom and skill to the surgeons and the attending medical staff that you would uh, provide a successful surgery and then healing that follows and that you would restore him to a healthy and whole condition father we lift up our nation we pray that you would grant us as a people repentance, that our hearts would turn away from the things that we've been following and would turn instead to you and to faith in Jesus Christ. We pray for many who are fearful, fearful and distressed over the problems in the world, and we pray that you would replace that fear with soundness of mind and with confident faith and trust in you and your goodness and your plans for us. We pray for this chapel, Father, that you would use us to be faithful and to hold forth a faithful testimony, a faithful word to your saving grace through the gospel of your Son, Jesus. All of these things we ask, Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus, that name which is above every other name. Amen. I feel discouraged why should the shadows come why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven and home when Jesus is my portion my, con- my constant friend is he His eye is on the sparrow and I know he watches me his eye is on the sparrow and I know he watches me. Let not be, be happy I sing because I'm free for his eye is on the sparrow and I know he watches me. Let not your heart be troubled His tender words I hear, and resting on His goodness, I lose my doubt and fear. Though by the path He leadeth, but one step I may see, His eye is on the sparrow, and I know He watches me. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know He watches me. I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. For His eye is on the sparrow, and I know He watches me. Whenever I am tempted, Whenever clouds arise, when songs give place to sighing, when hope within me dies, I draw the closer to Him, from care He sets me free. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know He watches me. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. I sing because I'm happy, I sing because I'm free. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Luke chapter 12, verse 6 says, Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings? And not one is forgotten before God. And These were the words of our Lord Jesus Christ who showed us the Father. Anytime you feel discouraged or you feel like, does God see? Does God even care? Just remember, the Father is the one whose eye is even on the sparrow. Not one of them falls to the ground and escapes our Father's notice. And how much... More valuable are we to him than sparrows. We are in Acts 28. This is the one that we've been looking for. It's the last chapter of the book. Acts 28. Uh, We've spent a couple weeks with Paul and his companions and other prisoners and soldiers as they were shipwrecked. We saw Paul's faithfulness. In the midst of that disaster and how God used him, to save many lives, and they make it to the shore. And we pick up in chapter 28, verse 1. Now when they had escaped, they then found out that the island was called Malta. And the natives showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. So when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow to live. You ever hear people talk about karma? The idea that you get what you deserve, right? That's what these natives evidently believed in—some form of karma. They said, "Yeah, he escaped the shipwreck. He made it to shore. He survived the storm. But look now—a snake reaches out and bites him. He's a dead man. This man must deserve to die." These natives, no doubt, were familiar with the type of snake that latched onto him. Luke uses the word viper here—a viper. This was a poisonous, a venomous snake, rather, and. Now the islanders are going to wait and watch and see what happens. It says Paul shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. However, they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. (laughs) But after they looked for a long time and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and they said that he was a god. Boy, talk about the two extremes. First they're saying, oh, snake bit him, this man, he's a murderer, he deserves to die. Then when he doesn't die, they say, oh, this man, he must be a god. (laughs) Neither one of those extremes was the truth, but this was a man sent by God. And we're going to see what happens here on the island, how God used the apostle Paul. In that region, there was an estate of the leading citizen of the island, whose name was Publius who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery. Paul went into him and prayed, and he laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. They also honored us in many ways, and when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. You know, if you visit the island of Malta today, in the year 2020 the people there still celebrate and honor the Apostle Paul and this man named Publius. Publius was born, uh, history tells us, somewhere around 33 AD. This would have been about the time that Jesus Christ was being crucified, buried, and rising from the dead. So we can see that Publius was a man of probably about 30 years old at the time of of these events right here. But... History tells us, tradition tells us, the Bible doesn't tell us this, but history and tradition tell us that Publius became a believer on the Lord Jesus Christ through the things that happened here with Paul healing his father and then healing so many other people who were sick of various diseases. And he became a follower of Jesus and then eventually became a pastor, a bishop on the island of Malta, ordained by the Apostle Paul himself to lead the new believers here on this island. And then tradition tells us that he eventually went to Athens, Greece, and he became the bishop there, and he led more people, more Christians, and ultimately he was taken to the Roman Colosseum where he made the ultimate witness of his faith in Christ by refusing to deny the Lord Jesus Christ, and he was delivered to the lions. And he was killed. He paid for his faith in Christ with his life. So here in 2020, present day, there is a festival to honor Publius. It takes place in the month of January, I believe. And then in the month of February, there's a festival to honor the Apostle Paul. These people are still grateful for the way God used the events of the shipwreck and the ministry of the Apostle Paul and then the later ministry of Publius to bring the gospel to them. But I digress. Moving on. Verse 11. After three months, we sailed in an Alexandrian ship whose figurehead was the twin brothers, that is, Castor and Pollux, which had wintered at the island. And landing at Syracuse, we stayed three days. From there, we circled round and reached Regium. And after one day, the south wind blew, and the next day we came to Putioli, where we found brethren, that is, Christians, believers, and were invited to stay with them seven days. They're in Italy now. And they meet Christians there. They stay with them for seven days. And so we went toward Rome. From there, when the brethren heard about us, they came to meet us. Brethren, Christian brethren in Rome heard that Paul was coming. And they go out to meet Paul. They're not going to wait till he gets there. They're going to go to him. It says they traveled as far as the Appii Forum and three inns. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. Now, when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard. But Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with the soldier who guarded him. And it came to pass after three days that Paul called the leaders of the Jews together. So when they had come together, he said to them, men and brethren, "'Though I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, "'yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, "'who, when they had examined me, wanted to let me go, "'because there was no cause for putting me to death. "'But when the Jews spoke against it, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, "'not that I had anything of which to accuse my nation.' For this reason, therefore, I have called for you, you Jewish leaders here in Rome. I have called for you to see you and speak with you because for the hope of Israel, I am bound with this chain. Then they said to him, we neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren who came reported or spoken any evil of you. In other words, they're saying, Paul, we're a blank slate. We don't have any backstory on you. We haven't heard anything good. We haven't heard anything bad. So go ahead, talk. Tell us what you have to say. We desire to hear from you what you think. For concerning this sect, they're talking about Christianity. They're calling Christianity a sect. Concerning this sect, we know that it is spoken against everywhere. Okay, so we're not exactly blank slates. Paul, we do have this background of we've heard people talk evil about Christianity everywhere. But we want to hear what you think. Go ahead and tell us. Well, that's a dangerous thing to tell the Apostle Paul. Go ahead and speak your mind. You know what it's going to be. So when they had appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging. To whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets. That is to say, he used the Old Testament scriptures from beginning to end, and he explained and showed them Jesus Christ from the Old Testament. It says he did this from morning till evening. You see what I say? It's a dangerous thing whenever you tell a preacher, go ahead and talk. (laughs) You can take all the time you need. From morning till evening paul reasons with them from the old testament scriptures and he preaches to them jesus christ as the fulfillment of everything that moses and the prophets had spoken of he's the fulfillment of all of god's promises from morning till evening well what was the result verse 24 says that some were persuaded by the things which were spoken and some disbelieved so when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul had said one word. And, and this, is the, this is the word. Oh, my goodness. We've seen it before in Paul's ministry. Whenever he goes from place to place, the first, first stop he makes is he goes to a synagogue. If there is a Jewish synagogue, that's where he goes. And he preaches Jesus Christ from the scriptures. And sometimes he sees some of these Jewish people believing, and other ones they're not believing, and there's a little bit of debate and controversy, and then invariably there'll be some Gentiles who believe. And when that happens, that is like the, that's the gauntlet being thrown down. And when that happens, the Jews finally agree. They agree that this is not for us. If the Gentiles can enter into, it's not for us. We've seen it happen before in Paul's ministry. It's happening here again. Look at what Paul says in verse 25. When they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul said one word. He said, the Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers saying, go to this people and say, hearing you will hear and shall not understand and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing and their eyes they have closed. They have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears. Lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. Paul says, Therefore let it be known to you that the salvation of God, the salvation which was for the Jew first, has now been sent to the Gentiles and they will hear it. You have stopped up your ears and refused to hear. You have closed your eyes and refused to see. You have walled up your heart and refused to let the goodness and grace of God penetrate it. But now this salvation that was for you is going to the Gentiles and they will hear it. They will see it. They will let it into their hearts. That's the word that Paul spoke. And when he spoke it, those Jews who couldn't agree, remember some were persuaded, some were disbelieving, they couldn't agree. When Paul says it's going to the Gentiles, now they agree. They leave. When he had said these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. So our message today is called, What is God up to? Back then they could ask that question just as well as we can ask it today. We see craziness in the world around us. And it perplexes us. And we say, what is God up to? They were saying the same thing. What's God up to? Jonah the prophet said it. What is God up to? And Jonah had a sneaky suspicion. He knew what, was, what God was up to. Knowing something about the character of God, Jonah suspected that God was up to forgiveness. That he was up to mercy. That he was up to washing away sins. That's why Jonah didn't go to Nineveh. That's why Jonah was angry when the thunderbolts and the fire didn't fall from heaven. Because Jonah didn't want that kind of business for God to be up to. Jonah wanted something different. He says, show me the God of my fathers, the one who sent Israel into the land of Canaan, dropped the walls of Jericho, slew everyone except for Rahab and her household, and then proceeded to destroy the seven nations of the Amorites. Show me that God Don't show me this mercy and forgiveness thing. We are the chosen people, Jonah says. Why would you go about forgiving Ninevites? They don't need forgiveness. They need judgment. They need destroyed. What is God up to, Jonah says? What is God up to? There's a lot of things that God's up to. But I want to talk about one primary one today. God is up to working to extend the reach of the gospel into every human heart. That's what God is up to. He's working to extend the reach of the gospel. He was doing that in the days of the apostles. And I submit to you, he's still about that business today. God is working to extend the reach of the gospel. The first question is, why? Well, that's an easy question to answer. Romans chapter 1 verse 16. The apostle Paul says, "For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile." I'm not ashamed of the gospel. The gospel's the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. The gospel is the dynamite That blows up the dam of the reservoir of man's sin and rebellion and pride. The the gospel's the powder keg that blows up that dam, breaks down that wall. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's powerful. It's the power of God. God is working to extend the reach of the gospel because the gospel is the message that has the power to save. It has the power to change a heart, to change a mind, to change a life. God is working to extend the reach of the gospel because, as 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, Paul tells us, because God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. If you've ever entertained the notion that God wants some people to be saved, but other people he doesn't, put that out of your minds right now. The Apostle Paul told us as much in this passage, 1 Timothy 2.4, God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So you say, well, why aren't all men saved? If God desires it, why doesn't it happen? Because God doesn't override the will of human beings. He certainly could. But it seems to me that God doesn't want robots. It seems to me that one of the most amazing things that God ever did was he created creatures that have wills to choose good or evil. The gospel is the power of God, but it is a message that has to be received. It has to be believed. It's the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, both Jew and Gentile. God's working to extend the reach of the gospel because he desires all men to be saved. He's working to extend the reach of the gospel because as 2 Peter 3.9 tells us, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Let that soak in. God's not willing that any should perish. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But there is that whosoever believeth, isn't there? It's not God's vote that any should perish. He's not casting a vote saying, I want them in hell. He sent his son, and he's given us the good news about his son, someone falls short of the grace of god it's because they have cast that vote they have chosen to they have rejected the offer of mercy and grace god's not willing that any should perish but where i want to spend most of my time we've answered the why the why is god working to extend the reach of the gospel but what about the how and here's what i really want to get into today the how god is extending the reach of the gospel By extraordinary means in some cases. In the book of Acts, we saw some of these extraordinary means. An angel of the Lord appears to Cornelius when he is praying and says, Cornelius, you God-fearing Gentile, you, you need to go get in touch with a man named Peter. He's got a message. God used an extraordinary means to get Cornelius to the place where he could hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And be saved. We saw other extraordinary means in the book of Acts. Philip was told by the Spirit of God. You see that chariot over there? Go talk to that guy. And after he got done talking to that guy. Preaching the gospel to him. And baptizing him in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of a sudden, he was gone. And he found himself about 20 miles away at a place called Azotus. God used extraordinary means to get Philip to where he needed to be. God used various miracles and healings in the lives of certain people. God used extraordinary means. Here we saw Paul bitten by a viper. He should have swelled up and died. His heart should have stopped. Everyone was watching to see it happen. And he didn't. Nothing ill came to him extraordinary and God used that to wake up these people and say hey here's someone you need to listen to and then Paul goes in and he heals the father of Publius and then all these people start coming with their diseases and ailments and Paul's through the power of Jesus Christ Paul is healing them all and these people have been awakened to the power of the true and living God and they're ready to hear the gospel extraordinary but I want you to notice that even in the midst of these extraordinary means that we see in the book of Acts, there is still this very ordinary means that is used. And that is that God uses messengers that are sent to preach, sent to proclaim the message that God will save through Jesus Christ. Look at Cornelius. Yes, he got a visit from an angel, but the angel didn't give him the gospel. The angel said, you need to send for Peter, send for another man. Peter's going to come, and he's going to tell you what you need to do. God works through human messengers. The gospel is not declared and proclaimed by angels. It's proclaimed by flesh and blood, people just like me and you. God uses messengers delivering a message, and that message is that God will save through faith. In Jesus Christ. Philip. Extraordinary circumstances. But once again. The message was the same. God used a human agent. Philip. To preach this message to the Ethiopian. He said do you understand what you're reading? The Ethiopian said how can I unless someone explains it to me. And so Philip started right there with Isaiah 53. That talks about the suffering servant of the Lord. The lamb who was slain. And he preaches Jesus to the Ethiopian. And the man believes. God uses human agents. Paul and Barnabas, they are called in a prayer meeting. The Holy Spirit speaks to the group and says, separate Paul and Barnabas to me for the work that I've called them to do. I'm sending them to go proclaim the message. We say, why couldn't God just proclaim the message from the clouds? He doesn't do that. It's his purpose to use us, to use human beings. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul talks about this. He talks about how the message of the cross, Jesus Christ, God incarnate, crucified for our sins, Buried and risen. This message was complete foolishness to the intellectual elites of the day. It was complete foolishness and offensive to the religious elites of the day. But Paul says it's the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. And God, it pleased him. It pleased God to use the foolishness of the message that was preached. It was foolish to the elites, foolish to the intellectuals, foolish to the religious It pleased God to use this foolish message to save. The power is in the gospel. Also in the book of Acts, we see that God used all kinds of events and circumstances that we wouldn't necessarily call extraordinary. Many of them commonplace, ordinary, everyday kind of circumstances to spread the gospel. Some of these circumstances and events include things which might seem to be quite negative to us. Obstacles, difficulties, setbacks, trials, troubles, even persecution. Look at the Apostle Paul here in the last couple chapters. He's going to Jerusalem. He knows what awaits him there. And he says, I'm ready to die for the Lord Jesus in Jerusalem. But God says, Paul, I don't need you to die in Jerusalem but you're not going to have an easy road. You see, I've I got to get you an audience with the governor of Judea. And then after that, I've got to get you an audience with the next governor of Judea. You have to talk to Felix and Festus. Now, imagine the Apostle Paul, under any other circumstance, saying, um, writing a letter and saying, you know, Honorable Governor Felix or Festus, um, I would like to talk to you about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ain't going to happen. But as a prisoner of the state. Who has to stand trial. All of a sudden. Here he is in front of the governor. He can give the gospel. To the governor of the entire Roman province. And then after that. He gets an audience with King Agrippa. The king over Judea. Oh my goodness. He could have never scored an audience like that. If God hadn't worked it out. So that he would be a prisoner. But God wasn't done yet. God says Paul. Uh, We got to get you to Rome because I got to have you talk to the emperor himself. You have an audience with the emperor of the whole world. And you got to be a faithful messenger to proclaim the gospel there, too. God uses these circumstances that seem so terrible, and yet he's using it to move his man forward so that the gospel can move forward. There were other times where God used terrible circumstances. For the furtherance of the gospel. Go way back in the book of Acts. When there was a guy named Saul. Who was persecuting the church. God used that persecution. To disperse the Christians. And they carried the gospel with them far and wide. And then God got a hold of this Saul of Tarsus. And he said you're going to work for me now. You're going to preach my gospel. To the nations. Paul and Silas, I'm sorry, Paul and Barnabas, they had a disagreement over taking John Mark with them on their second missionary journey. The disagreement was so sharp that they went their separate ways. That's okay. God worked with that. Now he has Barnabas going here to take the gospel to people. He's got Paul going there. God works with it. God uses it to further the gospel's reach. Paul and Silas get imprisoned in Philippi. And in the middle of the night as they're singing hymns, there's an earthquake. The guard is going to take his own life because he fears the prisoners have escaped. Paul yells out, don't do it man, we're still here. And then the jailer comes, since he, falling down weeping, he says, what do I have to do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your household. The gospel comes to the Philippian jailer, a church begins in Philippi. We're going to be looking at the Philippians in just a little bit. There's a snake snake bite on Malta. Everyone's watching to see what will happen. He doesn't die. He doesn't even get ill. The gospel goes forward. There's a shipwreck in Acts chapter 27. You think about what happens here with the events of the shipwreck. The centurion, he takes a liking to Paul. Paul has given him good advice, good counsel, encouragement, wisdom. What does all that do? Well, when the ship is wrecked and the soldiers are getting ready to follow Roman protocol and kill all the prisoners lest any should escape, the centurion, wanting to spare Paul's life, says, no, don't do it. Let everyone who can swim, swim. Everyone else get on something that can float. Try to make it to shore. And 276 people's lives are saved. Paul is spared. The centurion, when they make it to Italy, when they make it to Rome, he makes arrangements for Paul to have preferential treatment. He's not going to a Roman dungeon to wait for two years to have his trial with Caesar. No, he gets to go to a rented house. And he doesn't have a whole troop of guards chaining him to the wall. No, he gets to live in his own place with a guard to keep watch over him. And people can come and go. Visitors can come freely. And Paul can freely speak the gospel and teach about Jesus for over two years in his own place. Look at all the things that God worked out through horrible circumstances, but he has the gospel moving forward. I I, got to show you something here in Philippians chapter 1. This is just amazing. Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. The apostle Paul is in prison in Rome the time that we're talking about right now and he writes this letter to the christians who are in philippi he says i want you to know something brothers that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in christ remember paul has one guard at his house it's not the same guard every day they have to rotate they're in shifts During that two plus years that Paul is a prisoner in his own rented house in Rome, he has managed to witness to the entire palace guard. They have all heard the gospel and they all understand that Paul is not there because he's done something wrong. He's there because he's being faithful to Jesus Christ. This is amazing. He says, and most of the brethren in the Lord have become more confident because of my chains, and they are much more bold to speak the word of the gospel without fear. Now, I acknowledge some of these brothers are preaching Christ out of envy and strife. In other words, they're in competition with me. That they think that I'm competing with them. I'm not. I just want to see the gospel go out. But they're in competition with me. And so they're preaching all the more because they're saying, oh, we're going to win more converts than the Apostle Paul did. Here's our chance. He's in jail. We can do it now. He says, some of them, though, are preaching out of goodwill. Uh, The former, the, the envious and jealous ones, they preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely. They think that they're hurting me while I'm a prisoner. They're adding affliction to my chains. But there are others who are preaching the gospel out of love. They know that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether it's in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul says, I'm a prisoner here and I might, f- I might be tempted to feel like I've been set aside and set on the shelf. I had been a globetrotter. I've been going everywhere preaching the gospel and now I'm under house arrest. But guess what? The entire palace guard has heard the gospel and now I'm seeing Christian brothers here and there preaching the gospel more fervently. Some of them for their own selfish ambitions, but others genuinely and sincerely. And you know what? I don't really care. If they want to preach it selfishly, That's fine. The gospel of Jesus is still going out there. People are hearing the good news. I'm seeing the gospel go further down the road. And I know that's what my God is all about. Philippians chapter 4, verses 21 and 22. You're going to love this one. At the end of his letter to the Philippian church, Paul writes, I want you to greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are here with me in Rome, as I'm under house arrest, they greet you. All the saints here greet you. But especially those who are of Caesar's household. Paul is under house arrest in Rome. And he has made believers out of people who are members of Caesar Nero's family. Now, Caesar Nero, there's various interpretations of the book of Revelation, I'll admit, but many people believe that when you read in the book of Revelation about the beast, or we would call the Antichrist, what we're reading about is we're reading about Caesar Nero. (laughs) Paul is making believers out of his family while he's a prisoner in Rome. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that amazing? God had a plant. Well, we read in the story about Jonah that God prepared a plant. Well, God prepared another plant right here. He had Apostle Paul to be a plant in the palace of Caesar to make Christians there. We read in the story of of Jonah that God prepared a worm, right? Well, God had another worm here. The Apostle Paul had wormed his way in. And he was preaching the gospel. I may not be able to travel here, there, everywhere, but I can still preach the gospel right here where I am in the midst of circumstances that many people would be tempted to think are very difficult. And yet he's winning converts from the family of the Caesar, the emperor of the Roman Empire. It's amazing what God does, isn't it? That's the business God is in. God is in the business of furthering The spread of the gospel. He wants you to hear it. He wants your family members to hear it. He wants people across the world to hear it. God wants to wake people up with the gospel because that's the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first, also for the Greek. You know, there's one last way that God furthers the gospel. And we're not going to get to it today. We're going to save it for next week because it comes right at the very end of Acts chapter 28. And it's worth spending a Sunday on as we see how God even uses the hard hearts and the disbelief of some people to further the gospel. Uh, We we saw it in the life of Jonah. That hard-hearted prophet who wanted to see people die instead of repent, and yet God used him to bring about forgiveness through repentance but we're going to see it here at the end of Acts chapter 28 but we'll look at that next week how can god even use unbelief to further the gospel god can do it he's amazing he's in that business let's pray god our father we thank you that you are in the business of saving people reclaiming people, redeeming people, transforming people, showing mercy and forgiveness to people. In the hardness of our hearts, sometimes, Lord, it'd be so tempting to want to call down the fire of judgment upon people that that we reject and don't receive. Please root out that wicked thought from our hearts our minds replace it with the goodness the grace the kindness the generosity that you father have shown and your son showed to us when he revealed you to us we thank you that you made a way to be forgiven through the death burial and resurrection of your son we thank you for that good news that good message that gospel which is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe to the Jew first, and also to the Gentile. We praise your name in the name of Jesus. Thank you for having tuned in with us today. We hope you found the time in worship and the word to be encouraging, challenging, and strengthening. If so, we'd love to hear from you. We realize there are so many ways you could spend your time. We're glad you chose to spend it with us in worship and the Word. Until next time, may the grace and peace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ be with you all today, this week, and forever.